0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so we've been talking about mercy and compassion. And so if you need a Bible today, raise your hand. Our ushers will get you one. Then go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17. Now, if you were here last week, we began to talk and... We're on a road trip through the Bible, and this will kind of give you uh, an insight about how my mind thinks. Last week, we were in the city of Joppa, and all these have uh, a scriptural emphasis. And so today, we're going to be in the city of Lodibar. In a couple of weeks, we're going to go to uh, Gilgal, and then we'll end in Ziklac. And so I, I believe it's important that we see the significance of places. But today, we're going to be in Lodibar, and we'll get there in a minute. I'm just going to set the table. Pain is inevitable for every one of us, but suffering is optional. And what I mean by that, if I'm not careful, I'll allow my past to dictate my future. And many times, every one of us in this room, we all have a past, but we refuse to let go of the past. And when that happens, you talk about living in, in a rough situation, we can get that way. So let's begin Luke 17, verse 1. This is Jesus' words, okay? Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. One translation says, it is sure to come. What are? Offenses to every one of us. And the word offense there means a snare. It means a trap. It means a stumbling block. So what he's talking about here is every one of us here, we're going to have opportunities to be offended. Probably every day. So the issue isn't if I'm going to be offended, what am I going to do when the offense comes? And the offense is kind of like a cat, his claws. That offense wants a claw at your heart because what ultimately happens is we live with resentment and that inward poison that we can never get rid of. So Jesus' word said it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. A strong warning from Jesus here against being the cause. Verse 3. Take heed to yourselves, once again, that's the only person I control is me. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. The Amplified says, pay attention and always be on your guard against being offended or living offended. Verse four, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, "I repent," you shall forgive him. Now, get those two words there. You shall. That's not just a real a pleasant invitation. That is a command from Jesus. We shall forgive them. And the reason Jesus tells us this, guys, is, is He wants us to live right in our hearts. So every one of us each day, we're going to have the opportunity to walk this out. Now, let me just share, and I'm looking to make sure she's, she's not here this morning. I've got a lady that's been coming to church here now for about five weeks. And she doesn't know I know this. I just found this out just a few days ago. But a couple years ago, her brother was stabbed to death here in Lubbock. Viciously. The guy stabbed him once, and then he took off running, and then the guy hunted him down, and I think he stabbed him 20-something times. So just a couple of weeks ago, this guy goes to court, and he pleads guilty to murder to keep him from the death penalty, and so he's sentenced to life in prison. After the judge sentences this man, he gives all the family that's there an opportunity to address him. Now just put yourself in your shoes if it was your sibling. So one right after the other, the family members stand up and they address this man who killed their brother. And some said, I'll never forgive you. I hate your guts. I pray you burn in hell. Just one right after the other. The last one is left is this woman that's come to church here for now about five weeks. And she's sitting there, and the Lord begins to deal with her heart. And the judge looks at her and says, Do you want to address him? And she stands up and looks at him and says, I forgive you. And Jesus loves you. And I put myself in those shoes and I think, What would I do in that circumstance? See, this is the love of God. This is the compassion of God. She could have harbored unforgiveness. But she chose not to. Is that easy? Absolutely not. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2. Let's let's add a little bit more here. Because reaction is always the determining factor. Vengeance for every one of us is powerful, but it's also very deceptive. James 2 Verse number 8, and James got some great insight here. He said, if you really fulfill, now I'm going to stop right there. If you really fulfill. So he's telling me not just to think about it, it's just not in theory, but he's saying, you got to do it. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. Now when he talks about the royal law, get this, this is the king of laws. This is the big one. This is the granddaddy of them all. So he tells us here that the royal law, which the Scriptures say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Now, we're not just to think about that. We're actually called to do that, to live that, to be that. And one of the ways we must start doing that is we say, Lord, put love in me. Help me to love people like you do. Help me to see people through your eyes and through your tears. Let me feel what they're feeling. And then in verse 9, James says this, But if you show partiality... Now, the word partiality there, it denotes making a distinction, whether it's by rank or by influence. And he said, if you show partiality, get this, you commit sin. So when I play favorites with people, he's told me that's sin in God's eyes. And just looking in this, we're not given the opportunity to pick and choose who we get to show love to. Well, I I, kind of like you, but I don't like you. So I can't pick and choose. I just got to put on love, but I also can't ignore this. And he ultimately says here, and are convicted by the law... As a transgressor. So, really, you know what this is saying? Learn to live with the favor of God. Learn to live with the, the love of God. And really, my paraphrased addition to this is let's treat people how I want to be treated. It's a big deal, guys. Live and act in priority because every day we're all giving our energy in our life to something. And what I give my life and my energy to, it's either lead me to the things of God or it's lead me away from the things of God. Now, one more before we get to Lodibar today. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to tell you, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm just not beating around the bush here. Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Thank God for His Word. This is what will change us. James 1.22, don't be a hearer only of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And we all know this, that imitation in our life plays a strong role. I mean, you watch a little boy or a little girl as, as little children. Who do they want to imitate? Their mom or dad? And it's always happening because imitation plays such a strong role in us. Well, right here... We've been told to imitate God here. Act like God. Be like God here. You know, 1 Peter 4, 8 says the love of God covers a multitude of sin. And that's part of imitating God. Verse 2. and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. So this is how it looks. I'm to walk in love as Christ has loved me. Now how did Christ love me? Unconditionally. He didn't say, if you do this, I'll love you. And he didn't say, if you do that, he just said, I love you. And so this is part of what we're supposed to do. But look what goes on next here, what it said. And he's given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So if I follow Jesus' example here, he gave himself for us, he offered himself for us. And He sacrificed Himself for us. So for me to walk in love and you to walk in love, I'm going to have to give myself. I'm going to have to, to sacrifice. And you know what that means? I'm not always first. I've got to start looking at people the way Jesus does. Now turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And as you're turning there, do you know that every one of us, we only have one way of knowing each other, is by the fruit in our life. And the fruit in our life, guys, is a track record of how we live. And your fruit is a tendency in your life. It's observable and it's also measurable. Now, just because it's a tendency in my life doesn't mean I can't change. It doesn't mean I can't grow. But to change and to grow the fruit in your life, man, you're going to have to start purpose in your heart. And asking God to grace you. So what would some of that fruit look like? Well, is my fruit that of offense? Or is my fruit of that of love? Is my fruit of that of imitating Jesus? And so these are some things we've got to look at. Now, in this passage here, this is a, a, a passage of King David. I want to give you a paraphrased edition a little bit of King David's life here. At the age of approximately 17, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. He doesn't walk in that until he's almost 29. So what does he do for the next 12 years of his life? Well, in that time span, that's when he killed Goliath. And as he killed Goliath, his fame began to soar. He becomes the armor barrier for the king at that time named Saul. His fame is really sore now. It's getting so big that King Saul gets mad. King Saul plots vengeance. Actually, King Saul says... I'm gonna kill him. So for the next number of years, David's running all over Israel hiding from King Saul so that he doesn't die. Now when we pick up this story here, King Saul is dead. David now is on the throne room. Okay? Second Samuel nine, verse one. That's where we're at. Read with me here. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him the kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now listen real close. If there is there anyone still who's left of the house of Saul? This is big that we get this, because in Jewish customs, whenever the new king became king, he would normally find all the other king that went before him, his family members, wife, children, anybody that was related to him, and kill them all. Wipe them out. You know why? Because they didn't want to give them the opportunity to try to restore the throne in their name. So they would kill every one of them here. But if you'll notice something here, it says here that David wanted to show them kindness. Now, understand in David's heart right now what's going on. And this is what's happened to me and you many times. There's a war going on within each one of us. Ain't you know what that war says? Do I get revenge? Saul did this to me and he did that to me. I'm going to get even with him. I'm going to kill every one of them. Or, do I imitate God and learn to walk in love and show compassion? So this is what's going on with David. Now, as you start here, you sense real quick what David has chosen. He's chosen to show kindness. Verse 2. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Now, you're going to hear Ziba's name mentioned a little bit. Ziba was a Gentile servant of the former king Saul. That's who this was. Verse 3. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? As I think about this, I'm sitting here wondering, wonder if his military advisors were in that room. And when he said, is there anyone here that I could show the kindness of God? If they didn't gasp or choke like, I can't believe he would say kindness toward King Saul in the same sentence. Excuse me, Mr. King, do you realize this is the guy who wanted to kill you? Do you realize who this is? And so right here, guys, King David begins to share his own heart. And instead of vengeance and revenge, you know what he says? I want to give kindness and compassion. First Samuel 13, 14 says this, that he was a man after my own heart. I wonder if, if things like this isn't why God said that. That David chooses this in one of the worst times of his life. He says, you know, I'm just going to show him kindness. Now, every one of us in this room, we have the opportunity to walk in forgiveness or not. And in King David's situation, he chose not to. And in in medical science, it directly relates physical illness and anxiety to unforgiveness. So David right here, he's got the opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to imitate God. And I'm going to show kindness, or I'm going to imitate man, and I'm going to get even. This is where he's at. So right here, he goes on to say here, Is there anyone here I can show him the kindness of God? And notice the word, show him the kindness of God. He didn't say, talk about it. Actually, he said, this is what I'm going to do. Keep reading here at the end of verse 3. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And it'd been very easy for Ziba to said this. Hey, King David, there's still a son left of Jonathan. But Ziba thinks that it's his job just to go in and tell King David a little bit more about this guy. And he says here, he's lame in his feet. In other words, he's physically unsuited for any position that would be of recognition. In other words, King. Don't waste your time and your effort on this guy. He's messed up. But look what begins to happen here in verse 4. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Meshir, the son of Amil, in Lodibar. Okay? So you know where Lodibar is? It's It's on the south banks of the Jordan River. It would be known today as modern Um Um-Eddebar, U-M-M-E-D-D-E-B-A-R. It is south-southeast of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Lodibar's at, okay? Just giving you a geographical lesson a little history here, so you understand where we're at. Keep reading. I'm going to give you a little bit more about Lodibar. Verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Meshur, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. Now, the word or the city named Lodibar I ought to tell you a little bit about it. It didn't say Heidi Bar. It said Lodibar. So Lodibar would be one of those cities that if you were to go up to someone and say, where are you from? And they tell you where they're from. If you said you were from Lodibar, they'd look at you and say, you're from Lodibar? you got to be kidding me. But also, many times, if we're not careful... We allow where we grow up to define who we are. In other words, where are you from? Well, I live on the south side of the tracks. I live on Shoot'em Up Boulevard. I live in the hood. And so people will look at you, and if we're not careful, we allow that part of our life to start defining us because that's the way people view us. I want you to think about this just for a second. When Jesus came out of Nazareth, remember what the religious leader said? Couldn't anything good come out of Nazareth? It didn't stop Jesus. Jesus didn't say, just because I lived on this side of the tracks, that's not going to stop my calling, and it shouldn't cause it to stop yours. And so just a little bit of insight here about Lodabar. So he asked for him. Verse number six. Now, when Mephibosheth, that's the son's name, okay? Mephibosheth. This is the boy that's lame. This is just a side thought. Please don't name your kids crazy names, okay? Don't do that stuff to punish them. I can say this. My mom and dad aren't here today. I got a crazy real name. Most of you don't even know my real name. I got so tickled that Ramona had been working here for years, and she said to me one day, she said, "Who is this guy?" And I looked at her and I said, That's me. Never one time in my whole life ever can I remember my mom and dad calling me by my real name ever. Okay? So if you ever hear my you guys wonder, you guys are puzzled. My real name is Norman Compton, okay. Some of you say, dear God, keep going by stormy, okay? (laughs) I'm named after a bunch of grandfathers. What does this have to do with this, pastor? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Okay. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son or the grandson of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. Now think about this. When he comes to King David's presence, he he falls on his face and he prostrates himself and he bows before him. You know why I believe he did this? Because it shook him up to have to go before King David. Two thoughts. Number one, why did he call me in here? Was he bringing me in here to make fun of me like everybody else did? Or number two... Did he bring me in here so he could kill me? Get revenge for what what took place with my, my grandfather. And so when you look at all this right here in verse six, I, I came across a scripture the scripture though that really spoke to my heart. Proverbs thirty one, eight and nine in the New Living says this speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. Verse nine says Demand justice for those who can't get justice for themselves. Because if you don't, they'll be crushed. So it's very easy if we're we're, we're not careful. We we sit back and we allow people to be abused. We allow people to be verbally abused. Just picked on all the time. Don't allow that to happen. And so this is what I believe David is beginning to do for old Mephibosheth. So we jump to verse 7. So David said to him, do not fear. And he reassures him, don't fear, buddy. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Who does that sound like? Sounds like what Father God wants to do for me and you. He wants to restore us. You know, in Psalm 23, it says, He prepares the table before me in the very presence of my enemies. And so right here, you know what what David is saying about this guy named Mephibosheth? He's royal. He's part of the royal family. He's a son of of Sauls, Just like we're sons of God. We're heirs and joint heirs. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. And we're to sit at Father God's table continually. And here's the good part about this for every one of us. It's not based on your do. It's based on your who. What does that mean? It didn't matter what Mephibosheth had done or had, not, had done or hadn't done. It was about who his father was. That's the same as me and you. I don't inherit the things of God because of what I do or don't. I inherit it because of who I am in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a brand new creation in Him. And so just like this, understand this, God will restore you to your rightful position. God will begin to move in your life when you begin to surrender to Him. But here's part of it. You've got to see yourself that way. You've got to see yourself as as, as a righteous king, because that's how God sees you. Verse 8, and this is where it really starts moving in a funny direction. Then he bowed himself, talking about Mephibosheth, and he said, "What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I?" Now think about all this that take place. He he, he prostrates himself before him, and David re- reassures him, "I'm gonna be good to you." I believe when David started telling him that, his head rose. His head rose up and he began to look at him. Because if you'll note here, right after David says all that, he said he bowed himself. So he bows again. And instead of seeing himself how David saw him, he began to look at the image that he saw himself. And he says right here, I'm nothing but a dead dog. This is how he viewed himself. Think about this as a dead dog. A dead dog, there is no value. There is no worth. Life had beaten him up. Why? At the age of five, he had a nurse that was carrying him out in battle, and she physically dropped him. And when she physically dropped him, that's what messed his legs up. And so he had been beaten up in life. This is how he had been since he was five years old. And a lot of times we never understand what happens with people. What's going on in their life. You know, we come in here right now. And if they're not really close to you, you don't know what's going on in people's lives all around you. How many people come in here on a Sunday morning that are beaten up by life? There is no family support. There is no parental supervision. Coming from broken homes. Do you know six out of every ten kids born in America right now are coming from broken homes? Some only have a mother. Some only have a father. Some don't have any. They've been beaten up by life. They've been dropped in life. You know, I heard this story one time that there was a man who took his four children to a theater to watch a movie. And the movie starts and the children get restless. They're jumping up and down, making noise. And the guy in front of them turns around and says, Hey, you guys need to be quiet. I paid to watch this movie. Well, the movie goes on and it gets worse. And the kids keep acting up and doing this and that. And finally, the man looks at the guy behind him and says, Listen, buddy, you need to get a control of your kids. And the guy said, I don't know how. He said, their mom died about three hours ago. I don't know what to do with them. See, many times we judge when people have a dead dog syndrome instead of just laughing. And when we choose to put on compassion, God will move. He will move in some of the craziest times. But it takes me and you saying, you know what, Lord? Let your love fill me. Let your compassion fill me. Remember what compassion meant? To feel what other people feel. Now it's always shocking to me how God does that. I'm playing in a golf tournament yesterday at all places. And I run into a man that I've known for years. He's one of those guys that's maybe one of those, the toughest men. I mean, fighting. He's one of those ones that I always thought, darn, if I had to fight him, I'd, I'd have to bring a baseball bat for both hands. And I would have. But I seen there. And right there on the first tee-off box, there's literally a hundred men around. And he comes running up and he comes up and he hugs me. And I said, how are you doing? And he shook his head just like that. And I said, what's going on? And he starts telling me stuff about his life, his marriage. And I said, are you going to church? And He said, no, I don't want to feel like a hypocrite. I said, dude, you're not a hypocrite. And he said, well, every time I go to church, all I do is cry. And I said, well, welcome to the NFL. I cry every service anymore. So he begins to share stuff with me in his life. And Thursday, I was looking out those front front doors when I was in here praying. And I was praying for things in the natural. You know, I was looking at our yard. And I said, man, Lord, our yard needs water bad. Not through the city of Lubbock, through youth. So I was praying about the drought. And the Lord spoke to my heart and He said, what about the spiritual drought? What about people that are coming into the church? What about people like this guy I ran into that they've lost all hope? And so as he's sharing with me, here's this tough guy, and all of a sudden he breaks right there, and he begins to cry. And so you guys know me, it's contagious. I begin to get crocodile tears and everything too. And I thought, I don't care who sees me. And so I begin to share with him. And I said, you know, in this spiritual drought that's going on, God said in these last days, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And God said that out of your belly, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And I said, that's my prayer for you. Now, guys, if I prayed in that golf tournament for any other reason for that, that was a great day. But I didn't get up yesterday morning planning that. But something happens when we put on kindness and compassion that God will lead you in people's paths that got the dead dog syndrome. It's I want to love God. I want to love people. Keep moving. Woo, we got to get going. You guys are making me tell too many stories. And so the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have had food to eat, But O Mephibosheth, your master's son, he shall eat bread at my table always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And you know what I think David was telling O Ziba right there? He was saying, listen, buddy, I don't care how you view him or what you think of him. He's worthy of my kindness. And I want you to know he's a king's kid. He's going to eat at my table continually. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. Now we can go back here to this, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said this. He said, Listen, boys, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And if we're not careful, we get in the mentality well, I'm in this certain position, and I'm in this position of influence, and that. And you know what? It's your job to wait on me. But not in the kingdom of God. God said this, that we're to put on the heart of a servant here. And so this is where Ziba goes and says, you know what, I'm going to It's about serving. Remember what Jesus said? The greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who serves. Keep reading. Verse 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. It's interesting to me that that's how, how it ends. And you know why I think it ends this way? is I, I, I think he was saying here, he ate at a king's table continually, even though he wasn't perfect. Even though he was blemished. Even though he had a past. Even though he had been dropped by, uh, in life. You know, a lot of times the thing that can help us most w- with our conduct, or most that can help us with our life, is our former conduct. And what I mean by that is, I want you to think just a second. How were you before you got born again? I was a good sinner. Really good. Now, what took place for me to get born again? God mercied me and God graced me. And real, real, it's real easy if we're not careful to get over and have this thought, well, man, people are coming in here and, and they shouldn't be this and they shouldn't be that. You know what? We were that way. And I would bet there's not one of us in here that when you, you got born again, you were transformed overnight. The next day you had angel wings. None of us were like that. We were were a work in progress. And I'm still a work in progress. And I don't know about you, I thank God that He mercies me and graces me every day. And so in this right here, I believe this shows the heart of King David. Instead of holding on to a fence and saying, I'm going to pop all of Saul's household, I choose to imitate God. And I choose to to obey and fulfill the royal law in my life. And he didn't have to. But that was his heart. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.